You're listening to the free preview episode of On Grief, a podcast about death by Karen Geyer. To unlock the full episodes, please visit patreon.com forward slash on grief pod. Memberships start at just $2 a month. This is On Grief, a podcast about death. History of Grief. Absolutely everything that humans do has a style and a fashion that goes in and out. Grief is no exception. And here to talk about the history of grief is author Brenny Scalace, who wrote a book called Death Summer Coat about this very topic. Welcome, Brandy. Brandy, let's go all the way back to the beginning. What was grieving like in the earliest recorded eras? It's hard to know exactly because some of our earliest, I mean, if if you're thinking about, say, Egyptian culture, let's say, that's way back there. And they had a really complicated notion of the afterlife. And so it's very difficult for us to know what their grieving policies were like. But we can look back at our own history, at our history, say, in the way it was like in, say, Britain or France or even early American traditions. And I think sometimes we can we can learn a bit more from from those things, because they say in the in the book, once you got to the, the 14th century and, and the Black Death, where death was so pervasive, I do feel as though we almost reinvented a kind of grief culture after that. There, there was something so shattering about the way death became standard in our lives that I, I so in the book, even though there's there's grief culture going way, way back into, you know, Mesopotamian history, I kind of start from that kind of restructuring of how we look at grief, grief post the, the 14th century. So that's that's kind of at least where where I began, and then I I used that to kind of try and get closer to our own our own era and our changing senses of death. So during that post Black War era, what were people doing to recognize the dead and to commemorate their grief? Well, you know, originally um, we didn't have public cemeteries the way we think of having public cemeteries now. People. People were buried in churchyards in what was considered sanctified or holy ground, at least in the European, sort of European, generically Christian spaces. And when you had the Black Death, of course, you had lots of very conflicting ideas. This is a punishment from God. This is a cleansing. There is no God. I mean, there's all kinds of responses to that level of, of death and dying. Grief becomes public in part because no one was unaffected by the sweeping nature. I mean, I think something like 500 people were dying a day in Paris at one point. And so there's there's just no way to escape this pervasive sense of death. But there's also a weird sort of buffer. Um, if you're all going through it, if everyone's going through it, it's not as though one of the one of the things I think about grief today is that it becomes very isolating. And we feel isolated when we're in grief. And I don't think you would have had something like that. And if anything, um, well, there's plenty of other ways of being isolated, like locked in your house if you're a plague victim. Grief itself was not an isolated event. And in fact, everyone just assumed the world was ending and you were next. And so there was, a le- I think, the, the sense of grief and loss, the way we connect those things today, is not going to be there as much if you figure you're next. So I think um, in some ways, it's after that period where you start kind of 
when people start reconnecting um, their communities, when they start rebuilding, when the the greatest sense of fear that you're going to drop off the next minute is gone, now you can start to um, to think more more about how you want to handle the dead. So instead of throwing them in carts, for instance, you go back to this, the churchyard burial, the uh, various Judeo-Christian kind of rituals that surround it. There were sometimes there were rituals about what direction you placed a body you know, so that they faced east or things like that. You had all the usual accoutrements, right? The candles and the prayers and all of that. And those were rituals. And I'm very, very, I think rituals are really important. Those rituals were partly how you knew where you were in the stages, right? You were passing through these different ritualized ways of of grieving. Something that's interesting about your book is that even though it was only sort of codified in the 60s with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, for centuries, almost every culture has understood that grief is a journey, and it is often a journey that has many different steps and many different forms. Well, one of the things that I love to look at are other cultures, because I think, we, you know, we're blind to our own culture a little bit. We're like, culture is something that happens over there. I mean, that's not true, but I think that we feel that way. And so one of the things I tried to do in the book, but I do in general because I do a lot with anthropology, is to look at the way other cultures handle it. And what's fascinating is how many of them have this sense of journey, that it's not like like death is the start of something, not the end of something. And so many times there's, okay, the person has died, and now for so many days, the soul will be traveling to its destination. And for so many days after that, it has to move on to whatever next stage. And so there's a lot more attention to the the soul that has departed long after the body has already been, say, buried or or burned or taken care of. So um, not only sort of that's kind of focusing on what the soul is doing, the departed person's journey, but it's also a journey for the living. It's also a way for them to know. So that you see what I mean? Like that stages and process is even there in some of these other cultures, not just for you, but for the the departed as well. And it's kind of this interesting combination, something you participate with the departed. It seems like we can never really know what death is going to be like until we get there. But what we can do is these rituals and participate in these activities in order for us to gain purchase over our feelings. Yeah, I think it's engagement in some ways. I think it's participation. And I think that's something we've lost a little bit of. One of the ritual is a really um, a, a tricky one. I think that we tend to eschew rituals. We're like, ah, who wants rituals, right? We're free of ritual. But ritual is actually a kind of freedom in itself. And it's it's a it's a garment. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I call the book Death's Summer Coat is this concept of it's a ritual is something you put on as you're processing through things. And we know that, you know, we we feel differently when we are wearing, when we are performing, right? And in a way, I think rituals are a way of engaging with the process of death and dying in a more intimate fashion than we typically do. I think it's something we tend to shy away from. That's not surprising. But to engage with it without any kind of, without a ritual, I think you feel like you're in the woods. And I tell the story of a friend of mine who kindly let me reproduce it for the book, where because her father was not religious, they at first had planned no rituals at all post his death. And they all just felt lost. She said it was just like wandering around in the woods. Like they just, I I had no place to put my grief. And I I think I have a whole chapter on, on finding places to put your grief. And so ultimately they realized they didn't have to come up with a religious ritual, but they needed some way of guiding them through the process of this grief. And I think we, we don't realize the power of that because it's not just participating 
with each other, which it is, it's, it's combining groups of people together to go through this together. It's also participating in some ways with the departed. And it's a participation and understanding that death is the most, it's the one thing we are all going to share at some point, you know, <laughs> um, it's a bit like birth, right? And I think that it's this all encompassing human experience that we spend most of our time not thinking about. The Western approach to grief has gone from a community activity to a family activity to a private activity. So talk to me about why that is. There's a lot of theories about how it is that we've become so alienated from death and dying. But I think the most, the one I can get my head around the easiest, and I think is the easiest to communicate, is that we don't really see death much in the West. If you are reasonably, you know, lower middle class, middle class, United States, Canada, Britain, France, like in general, you are not going to see a dead body, maybe your entire life outside of a funeral home. And, you know, unless you're a doctor, of course, but all of these, this idea that we don't just, people aren't dying in our homes. We don't, we're not walking over dead bodies in the street. You know, we're really, really divorced from it. And I think, um, so we're alienated from it. We see if, if you get sick enough to die, you, you, you probably go to a hospital where other people take care of the bodily processes that go around that. And it's very sterile and it's very clean. And for the most part, we are protected from that. We're screened by our own privilege, really, from the messiness of death. And death is a messy process. Discorporation is not is not a pretty thing. And I think we're not used to it. And we, Pete, in a time gone by, that person would have died at home, probably surrounded by their children and children's children. Their bodies would have been washed and prepared for burial by their family members. That the body would have laid in state in the parlor, which is where we get the words funeral parlor from, for several days. And people weren't buried immediately. They weren't traditionally, they weren't really embalmed. And that happens after the Civil War here in the United States. And you you would have surrounded it and like seen it and kind of understood it from the time you were very, very small. And now, if you were to encounter, I, I actually um I was performing CPR on someone who died in a diner, and we were not able to save him, but for most of the people in that room, that was the first time they were ever going to see a decontextualized dead body. And it's so alienating because, you know, they're, you might be 40, 50 years old, and suddenly this is your first encounter with that. So I think it's the screen of our medical processes, of our, it's our, our, our own sanitary health in some ways, have kept us from experiencing death and dying. And it has allowed us to take more and more steps away from thinking very much about it. Whereas, you know, if you were a child and you lost, you know, your grandparents and cousins and uncles or whatever, and each one of them, each one of them had a body that was handled within your sight, by the time you were an adult, you would have had to have thought about death quite a lot. And we don't have to do that now. And so I think we've accidentally put a screen up between ourselves and death and dying as a process. So that's one way that we've arrived here. So is being good at grieving a muscle that you can work out? No, as a matter of fact, I think um, I like the meaty concept of death. I think that we're wrong to euphemize it so much. Uh, is it like a muscle? Well, I do think that, well, I, I have had a unique experience with death. So here's an example. I'm a modern human being, but I have family members from West Virginia. And when my grandfather died, we washed the body. We stayed up with the body. We performed the wake. We did all those things. I myself have, as I pointed out, seen 
decontextualize dead bodies in various ways. And I don't feel as though I'm as alienated from death as I might be. So I do think some of it is simply, are we willing to re-engage with these situations? Are we willing to to get close to death? I, I think of the number of people who don't stay with their animals when they have their animals euthanized because it's hard. Now you've, I'm sure you've heard people say, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be there when it happened. And I partly think that's a bit irresponsible. I think you should be there, but I also understand how we arrive at that place. Because if you've never had to focus on it, in the moment of grief is not always the best place to introduce yourself to these processes, right? Um, you're raw. This is not the time. So it's partly about preparing for winter in the summer, right? It's about preparing for how do we want to approach death before we are in this raw place of actually going through grief. So there's some preparation that's involved in it. If I might take just a side tangent to say a bit about, you have young men, young women going off and they're going to war zones, right? So I just said here in the United States, we don't regularly see dead bodies. But if you are in a war zone, if you've been sent to bombed out Syria, if you have been sent somewhere to the Middle East, etc., you have seen all sorts of decontextualized death, or actually maybe I should say hyper-contextualized death. You've seen bodies, you've seen blood, you've seen horrible things. You're then leaving that environment where you've been surrounded by other people who've all also seen those things. And you're going to come back to an environment where we shield ourselves from that. And you're going to come back to that place overnight on a plane. So there's no process. There's no, I, you know, it's, it's not like ancient Greece where you walked with your armies all the way back to where you lived. And there's this huge, long process of physical and mental journey before you arrive back to where you live. It's, it's you're immediately there. And you're surrounded by people who have buffered themselves and wrapped themselves in cotton wool and do not think about death. And you have just come from a place where you're stepping over bodies. And so I think the other reason and responsibility we have for getting better at grief is I think that we exacerbate the problems of post-traumatic stress disorder in this country because we are so bad at dealing with death, we can't deal with people who know how or who have been faced with it. Do you think as a society we've made that worse for the people coming home because we have such a taboo against talking about trauma and talking about horrors like that? I think so. but And I also would say it's not – I don't want to give the impression that it's malicious or that we – we untrained people ought to be necessarily walking into this is one reason why we have therapists and people who are trained to handle these things. But I do think that the entire cultural milieu is no one ever dies. You know, we're so focused. We're almost focused on immortality. This will keep you going. We'll change your heart. We'll change your lungs. We're going to do all the things. You're going to be a mechanical human. We're going to keep you going. There's never a moment where, as a matter of fact, even, um, I, I know someone whose mother had breast cancer and the doctors didn't want her to talk about what she would do if she were going to die. And it's like, no, I should really think about this. <laughs> but it's like, we we're so focused on like, no, you'll get better. You're, you'll get better. This would be okay. Science can fix you. And that's what you're walking back into. It's not just that individual people might not ask you. It's that we are a wholly life focused culture and we're hyper, hyper focused on life, you know? Um, Everything from right to life to the beginning of life, like we're all talking about life, 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 but we, we very rarely have discussions or meaningful engagements where we say, not just what's it like to die, but what's it like to witness death? What's it like to see death? What's it like to cause death? I mean, that's a whole other situation. So 
Um, I don't want to get too far into that. It's not necessarily my field of specialty, but I do think that it must be incredibly jarring to come from a situation like a war-torn area where death is so pervasive back into a culture which is not, not only do you not see death, but we're almost anti-death. And you talk about in the book how we have gone so far from being a society where death is all around you. Right, right. Or or even just even just in the 19th century, where you still had very, very high mortality rates from disease, and there weren't vaccines. And you know, the the people could live to quite old age, if they made it past the age of five, it was getting past the age of five, that was the trick. To unlock the rest of this episode, and to hear more episodes, visit patreon.com forward slash on grief pod.